This is WCN. The Whole Care Network. You talk. We listen. Content presented on the following podcast is for information purposes only. Views and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent views of the Whole Care Network. Always consult your physician for medical and fitness advice, and always consult your attorney for legal advice. And thank you for listening to the Whole Care Network. Those three words stuck with me the rest of my life, which meant to me at a young age that I was never enough, that I had to prove my life worthy enough to be a man. We all have our stories, and by sharing them, we can truly show the power of the human spirit. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gratitude to Latitude, Stories of Resilience and Hope. My first season celebrated the people that I know, people that are already in my circle, people that I couldn't wait to invite as guests. This season will be an interesting blend of old friends and new. That brings me to the first guest on my show, George Kalanzas. George is an author, combat veteran, coach, and dad, and he likes to empower others to overcome the toughest days with his program, Art of Transition, or Art of Tough Transition. He's also a podcaster, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about that. George, welcome to the show. Thank you for being a guest. You live in New Hampshire. You talk about transition. You're a writer. You also like ice cream with your daughter. So welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Yes, yes. Ice cream is my weakness. (laughs) We're going to have to talk about that. You know I'm a wellness coach, right? (laughs) Hey, me too. But ice cream's still in my life. (laughs) Yeah, there are some things that we can't live without. I understand that completely especially in the summertime, and especially when you're sharing it with a five-year-old. Yes, it's uh, very special. It's our it's our weekly treat. Sometimes more than weekly, but mostly weekly. <laughs> I'm sure she's adorable, and she convinces you to go several times a week. The very first word, transition, I want to kick off with, and then we'll go into some of the questions that I have in place for you. So transition is a powerful word, right? None of us will escape this life without challenges. And so many times we're in situations where we have to dust off, pick ourselves up and figure it all out. What is your approach to transition? If you don't mind me starting with that. Oh, sure. It's such a great question. Also a very, very difficult one. Yeah. uh, Because everyone faces different transitions. But where to start, like you said, transitions are inevitable in our lives. And so we first must accept that. Because I think we like to hold on to certain stories that make us cling to the joyous times and all of a sudden make the tougher times want to be gone just like that. But life doesn't work like that. We can have both joyous times and difficult times in our life and look forward to a better future. And so transitions in life are inevitable. And they, I believe that they come into our lives to make us meet our authentic 
or a true self, whatever you want to call it. And so that's where I'll start. It's a great kickoff to this discussion. And we're going to get into that some more and to help others transition. I think that's very important, especially right now, right? We're all in this time of transitioning. I call it our restart, our regrouping, our reconnecting, our reevaluating time right now. So we're going to talk about that. But I'd like to begin with who you were as a young adult or even as a small child. And the reason I start there is because for my personal journey, I at 55 years old and now am living my truest identity. And it took me this long to accept who I was and to accept the fact that I am this empath, this sensitive, highly sensitive person. I'm a writer, a poet. I love connecting with people. I get giddy about connecting with people. For many years, I wanted to hide those parts of me. So I am now at 55, as I said, back to that person I was at eight or nine years old. Who were you as a child? And is any of that relevant today? as you walk this journey? Oh, yes, it's uh, very relevant. It's actually how I kind of wrote my book and really got to where I'm at. Because uh, my whole life, I kind of avoided the inner child, the lost Georgie, we'll call it, because of certain events that I deemed that weren't that bad. But I deemed them not that bad as a Marine, as a 35-year-old man, not as a little lost boy at six years old. And so at six years old, I witnessed my parents' divorce. And by witnessing, I mean, I came home one morning, riding home from a book. We had the the, the nice house. We're in a beautiful neighborhood, riding home from my friends. And I see clothes getting thrown out the window, people yelling and screaming, my mom crying, my dad arguing. And then within a few days, there's men in suits coming to our house and taking away everything. And I don't know why or what's going on. I'm six years old. And at that point, my dad, I'm sure he meant well. I just remember him telling me to grow up and be a man at six years old. And it's because I'm the first born son in a Greek family, which is European tradition. So I got life the hardest. I have an older sister. Those three words stuck with me the rest of my life, which meant to me at a young age that I was never enough, that I had to prove my life worthy enough to be a man and to carry the tradition of George Colensis, which was named after my father. And so I didn't know that at the time, though. Of course, I was just going through childhood, going through life. And I wasn't athletic. I I was kind of clumsy as a kid. But I like to work hard. I really like to work hard. And I'm not sure if that was from proving myself as a man. But whatever it was, that's what I did. So at a young age, I started working for my family and did all the things. I noticed I wasn't athletic, like I said, but I still played sports just to prove to people I had what it takes. And as I started to grow up into high school, I got lost in crowds and did things to make me feel cool, right? So I think it's so funny because the things that make us cool in high school or younger as kids make us uncool as adults and vice versa, right? So today I don't drink, but that would have made me not cool as a kid. So it's (laughs) very interesting flip-flop. So I carried that that internal shame that I was never enough, that story of I was never enough for a long time, even in the Marine Corps. And so... The Marine Corps battle was different. I had proved that I had what it takes to be the best. I had done a lot of cool things in 10 years, but I still believed I wasn't worthy enough. I still believe that I didn't have what it takes to be a man, despite all I accomplished in 10 years, honorable service, three deployments, traveled to 40 countries, all of the things. And so when I got out after 10 years, I felt lost, confused. I'd never gave myself time to slow down and consider 
who George was, the man behind the mask, the warrior mask. And so I rushed into life doing what I thought a 27-year-old man should or needed to do in life. I got an MBA, I started a family, I chased success and all these things. So on the outside, I imagined it looked two ways. It looked happy and joyous and successful, but also other people thought I was like a dick. And I thought that was normal because I was like hardened and shelled and I was exhausted. And But on the inside, for me, it was dark. It was gruesome. I was exhausted. I was battling with demons. I didn't know what was going on. And so I just shut down. And over the course of a few years, I literally missed out on some of the happiest moments or what is supposed to be in a human's life. You know, in marriage and the birth of my daughter, I was there, but I was like physically like a lost soul, empty inside, cruising through the motions because I felt like that's what I needed to do. I never knew how to ask what I wanted or what I needed. And that created this gap in my marriage, created a gap between who I was, and eventually my marriage fell apart. And so because my worth was based upon achievements and superficial things, I never knew who George was. And when all that came crashing down, it drove me into a deep depression to where I found myself alone and I almost took my life. Thankfully, some higher power, God, universe, whatever you want to call it, showed me that I wasn't done. I I tell people in my book that it, it was my daughter who saved me. I have a picture on her dashboard. I still have it. And I pulled myself out there. I immediately got help. I start writing. I start being aware. And next thing I know, here I am today, helping others in the darkest days of their lives. That is a lot to unpack. And I want to thank you for being honest with us and authentic and real. And I think that, and I know that you're not alone in this kind of thinking. You mentioned a lot of key words. First and foremost, I feel I want to hug the loss, Georgie, because I understand that feeling as well. Sometimes we adults do things and we don't recognize, and it's never intentional, of course. We don't recognize the impact. We don't talk about them. We don't allow a place for communication with our children to feel safe to express what's going on in their minds. And so that is, that's just one nugget that is so powerful. And the other is, you said the word mask. And I think so many of us have this external confidence. And internally, we are battling, as you mentioned, with demons or low self-esteem, or we don't feel like we're doing what we're supposed to do, or we're not good enough. So I know that you're not alone in that. And I appreciate you sharing that in your your vulnerability as well. And I want to ask you, because if you saw my TEDx, I share that I started writing poetry at a very young age. And that was one of my first coping skills. So in my TEDx, I talk about it. You know, if you feel like you're kind of a geeky kid at the age of eight or 10, start writing poetry. And (laughs) that only adds to it. Did you start writing early as a result of your reaction to your parents' divorce? I wish I could remember. Honestly, I think because those moments were so traumatic for me, I shut out that era. And, and tuned into what the story that I just had done. I actually was into like art and stuff as a kid, but I kind of didn't think it was cool enough to do. So I never did. And so I tried to, like I said, force myself in a route. I didn't actually start writing probably until halfway through the Marine Corps a little bit here and there, journaling, things like that. Started a few poems when I was in combat. But the real writing didn't start until recently over the last few years where I chose to 
say, okay, if I was waking up and not sleeping and down in coffee and going into work and just running from these things, I needed to learn how to befriend the darkness inside of me. And so the only way to do that, and I talk about in the book, I was challenged by my mentor, Trevor Boehm. He also had a few TED Talks and he does amazing work with men to sit down and write about my feelings. And I remember I said, there was no way that I was going to sit and relive everything that I was afraid to face. But I did it slowly and surely. And at first, the, the writing was very egotistical, things like that to protect my vulnerability. But then people started interacting. And so it came softer over time and started to turn into poetry and started to turn into things like that. The book didn't arise probably until like a year after I pulled myself up from darkness. And then I started really writing. So it was, cathar it was cathartic for you to write this book, for sure. It was very freeing and very cathartic and probably the most challenging thing I've done. Yet people say it wasn't challenging for me because they know that I have so much more inside and I believe that. But it was still very challenging to face some of the emotions for sure. I literally had to have a conversation with the dark side of me every morning I got up to write. And he sat down with me on a stool next to me, calling me names, telling me I'm not worth it, telling me that no one wants to hear my story, all the things that we all tell ourselves at certain times. And I'd have to sit and pause and take a few breaths and write it and feel it. And so that was a very interesting experience for me. So you are the author of Nowhere to Go. And you mentioned three words, men, military, and feelings. We don't typically associate those three words with self-expression, self-care, and self-awareness. What would you say or what could you say or what do you say to the people who get to work with you about those topics? Mm, yeah, so everyone is individual, right? So everyone's a little different depending on where they come at. My approach is to first make them aware through a movement of their body. Because I believe that our body holds the keys to the freedoms we seek, no matter where we're at in our lives. And it doesn't have to be training hard. It can be through breath work. It can be through taking daily walks. It can be through yoga, Tai Chi, whatever you want to do. But the moment that you start to get out of your head and into your body is the moment that you can begin to feel. Because we can't feel if we're not moving our body because it just gets stuck. And so that's what I start with. And then from there, it's more of like initiation into learning how to drop out of your head and into your heart a little bit more. Do you believe that body, mind, and spirit go hand in hand in this transition? Yes, I believe it's definitely synced somehow, whether you want to call it mind, body, heart, mind, body, soul, mind, body, spirit. There's definitely a lot of things that support that. And I'm not an expert on this, but the chakras, you know, how they're all lined through the base of our body all the way up to the crown of our head, right? So that's definitely connected for sure. You mentioned your very first traumatic experience, and that was the divorce of your parents. And then you also shared that you went through your own divorce as well. How did you navigate that challenging time in your life? Okay, to be truthful, and I talk about this in the book, I didn't know how to navigate it. Because I ended up trying not to be like my parents so hard, I ended up in the same exact position as them, just a different body, a different human, a different place in a different time. I again went into like the darker side of things, running from it. So when I knew I was getting a divorce and we had split and separated, I 
didn't still know how to access feelings or ask for help. And, you know, typical men, hey, you know, you just get over it, start dating again, things like that. So I did that. The only time that I was free to be myself seemed to be when I was with my daughter. And that's why I say that she really saved my life. Because when I was with her, I didn't go out. I didn't drink. I didn't pay attention to women. I just paid attention to my daughter. So she taught me how to be present. But whenever I wasn't with her, which was, it was five on, five off every few days, I would go out. I would work hard. I would do all these things. And so it was a, a never-ending cycle that forced me into the darker side. And to come out of that, I literally had to ask for help to realize that the lone wolf does not survive. And so anybody who's facing an extreme hardship, whether that's death, whether it's a breakup, whether it's a job loss, whether it's something that makes them feel as if they have nothing left, yes, you have to save yourself, but you also have to realize you can't do it alone. And there are many different ways you can ask for help today, like listening to a podcast or reading a book or taking a course, right? Excellent, excellent advice. I believe all of those things are helpful. Did you have a person or a community that was there for you? Yes. So I found men's work through my mentor at the time was his name is Trevor Bohem. I found him through a TED talk. I was in a gym and it popped up when I was looking for music. And his TED talk was called Make Pain Your Guru. And it was weird because it was a middle-aged bald man. And I heard about divorce, but something about pain. I like pain. So it connected me to him. And when we had a conversation, I was on a week later, almost a week after I almost took my life on the phone with him, changing my life instantly talking about breath work, talking about meditation, the primal and divine and how it's okay to feel things and to fight hurt through life and all these amazing things, which now I'm in this group, but I'm also a leader in this group. So it's pretty cool. So from one TED Talk, from listening to one TED Talk, you were able to find your way, navigate this and return to wellness. That's incredible. It is. I will also credit myself. I think because of the extreme hardships I've had experienced in life, I was able to also pull myself out. I believed in myself somewhere that allowed me to do it. And I think because I had never given myself a chance to actually believe in who I was, it was always difficult. But when everything was gone, they really had no choice. And Robert Bly, he's a famous author and men's activist and things like that. He says that a lot of men in their mid-30s will ar arrive this drop in status. And the Greeks call it catabasis, where it's like you have to go through layers and decades of repressed hurt and emotions and feelings to find out who you truly are. And it's not like you just pick yourself back up. You actually have to sit in it and walk with it and feel it and go through the darkness and feel the ashes and everything that's crumbled beneath your feet before you can rise again. That information really surprises me that men in their 30s, I would think, you know, my guess would have been 40s or 50s when you're reevaluating your life and looking forward. I'm surprised that that happens in, in the 30s. Me too. I would expect 50s as well, midlife things, but it's actually a lot of men in their 30s that go through the same thing. I'm learning so much from you. Thank you so much. So tell me a little more about your book nowhere to go. Yes. So when I decided to write a book, Tim Ferriss, he said, if you're going to write a book, you might as well write a book. He said a little bit more vulgar. So when I chose, I, I wrote another book that will never see the day of light. And that was called Fathers of War. Because at the time, I was actually working with veteran men. And 
that allowed me to process some things, heal some things, but I couldn't keep up with the things because of the things that were going on in my life. So I couldn't help others more. So I wrote this whole entire book about a system about how to find yourself after the military. And it was great, but it was very rigid. It was very structured. It was very like egotistical and a rigid economy where it was like fear-based and right or wrong, things like that. And it was amazing to write. But I sought help with New York Times bestseller. His name is John Romano. He's a great storyteller. I asked him for help. So we sat down. We had a consultation call. He goes, this is an amazing story. He's like, but it's not the story that you were born to tell. You know, then we walked through the hero's journey through Joseph Campbell and the stages of life and all those things. And at the end, I was like, you're right. I have more. I'm just not sure what. He goes, yeah, you're not supposed to know what right now. He's like, you're supposed to just feel into it. And that's when I started writing and learning about poetry and essays. And that's how Nowhere to Go was born. It was born from a concept of understanding that in order to move forward in life, I have to be able to own my story. And so that's when things started to flow. By accepting everything I was, I mean, from the moment I was born all the way up until 35, 36 years old, and discovering how that would make me the man I am today, a better father, a better writer, a better creator, a better coach, a better man, better human. And so Nowhere to Go is really a combination of essays and poems to help others who are going through tough times to find themselves by understanding that there is nowhere to go in life because the end result is the same for all of us. It's death. And so life is happening right now. In these moments that you hear these words, in this moment that we're on this podcast together, I'm not focused on anything else except our conversation. And so my book takes the reader through a journey to allow them to find themselves by accepting themselves. And then with that acceptance, they can move into the future with optimism, strength, and dignity. That's powerful stuff. How did you get a New York Times bestseller to check out your book, your first book? Uh, he was, so he was a mentor of mine in the fitness world and we became good friends. And uh, he became like a coach in the writing space for me. I just reached out to him and he was doing consultation calls at the time. And so I was like, all right, I'm in. So that's you just You just reached out. I'm never afraid to reach out to anyone I do it all the time. And the worst thing that can happen is they say no, or they're not interested, or they don't respond. And I also want to share that it sounds like you needed to write that first book to get to your nowhere to go. Yes, I definitely needed that. Even before that, I submitted a few articles on uh, Medium, which is where I do a lot of my writing. And the first article I think that was getting a lot of traction was Five Uncomfortable Truths About Divorce. That's when I started putting together the pieces where, okay, I'm feeling liberated from sharing my story. There's more than just like a veteran here. Much more. Absolutely mm -hmm. much more. We are coming to the close of our conversation. So I just have a few more questions if you don't mind. I could talk to you for hours. I think we need to continue this conversation offline for sure. So you mentioned the transition and we talked about the fact that everyone will have a point in their lives where they are down on their knees, have nowhere to go, have no idea how to even begin. You are sharing that learning to kind of be still and be present and evaluate and focus and do some reflection and thinking helped you tremendously. Did gratitude have any part of that? And do you think that there is a relationship between gratitude and resilience or gratitude and latitude, meaning rising and succeeding? Absolutely. Because in order to really move through those darker times, 
you have to have an appreciation for where you're at and where you've come from to really see how far your two feet have taken you. Because for some odd reason, we've all been taught to just like hang on to the joyous times and the let go of the dark times, but it's everything. And so we have to appreciate that there is beauty within the darkness. And I know it sounds like some weird concept, but that's part of the soul. That's part of our life. And so if we could for a second become friends with our pain, we could see that there is an appreciation for our hearts and what all of it really has to say. And that there is wisdom in a lot of our wounds, maybe not all, but most of those struggles that we're constantly running from, we have to have an appreciation for who we are in order to move through it. I also think that they are part of our journey and make us who we are. Mm -hmm. For sure. During the time, we wonder like, why am I going through this? How can I make it through? But those dark periods really sculpt who we are. Yeah, I, I wrote a little poem about it a few weeks ago. I'd love to share if you want to hear it. I, that would be wonderful. I was going to ask you to either share a poem, a quote, or a song. So you go for it. All right, here we go. So this is still new sharing, but here it is. So I didn't name this one. Perhaps for a second, you could look into your pain. If you took a few seconds to listen to the wisdom from your heart, what would it say? Exhausted from running, dreams offer us a silent retreat. Pain causes us to shut down and our body will sleep. Dreams past time protect us from hurt. Wounds turn to wisdom, but not without rest first. Forgetting your pain can only get you so far. Wounds may be deep, but you, not, you must not forget who you are. Time doesn't heal all pain. That's only a myth. Your heart must do the work. There's truth to this. It's just a reminder that was beautiful, that there is no way around something. The only way is through something. That is correct. So thank you for that beautiful reminder. How do people get in touch with you, George? Yeah, so I got a lot of cool things coming up right now. The best way to really be interacting with me is on Instagram. It's underscore George Calancis. And uh, the rebrand of theartoftoughtransitions.com is actually going to be launched next week. So if you go there, you can get a lot of cool stuff. But those are the two best places to interact with me. And I also have my Art of Tough Transitions podcast where I post a weekly episode of things on my mind to help you through tough transitions in your own life. I'm so grateful that we've had this chance to sit down and have a conversation. I'm so glad that I got to meet you and that you reached out to me regarding guests for the podcast. You are an absolute perfect fit for this discussion, an example of living in gratitude, someone who's living with resilience, strength, hope, and latitude as well. And we're so glad that you're you're here with us and that you were able to overcome your challenges. So thank you so much, George. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was amazing. This is WCN. The Whole Care Network. You talk. We listen.